0: It is wonderful to be with you uh, this morning. Been anticipating the Lord's Day all week, and I hope that's something we all do, uh, preparing our hearts to be here, and, and what a wonderful blessing it is to worship God. Uh, Brother Paul mentioned Brother Spin and made me think uh, back to the trip we took to Bocchetti together. That was the next to last trip uh, he was ever able to take, uh, so that was special to be a part of that and get to know him, but most, some of you might know, not know this, but Spin was the one who was instrumental in converting Brittany. And he, in fact, baptized her and was very, very helpful and kind of helping her. And and as uh, she was being faithful to God, and of course, we met at Freed Hardman, and Spin's the one that kind of pushed that. Uh, And so he was so proud of that and and talked about that all the time. But it's interesting that that Paul mentioned that because I was just thinking about that conversation that me and him had there at the Mall of Panama before we came back home. He said, I want you to think about coming to South Georgia. He said, this, this, is, where it's, this is where it's at, Is what he said. And uh, I was in a, a time right there, a dark time really in Nashville, where I was considering getting out of preaching. I didn't think this was what I wanted to do. I didn't think this was uh, w- what, what God had in store, honestly. And that opened up the door to come down here. And here we are three years later. Uh, and I'm thankful for spin as well. Uh, it said of Abel in Hebrews chapter 11, he being dead yet speaks. And I believe the influence and impact of Brother Spin uh, speaks today as well. But aren't we thankful for the way God uses people in our lives? And a lot of times it's hard to explain, but God knows what He's doing. And He's able to put certain situations and arrive certain situations. And of course, we have to do our part to see those open doors and to seek them and then to seize them when they open up. But thankful that, that God is, is in complete control. And we can take great comfort and great confidence in the fact that God is in control. I love the song that we sang this morning from Habakkuk 2.20. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before Him. Let us be still and know that He is God. What a great reminder for all of us. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to First John chapter 4. And we are coming to the, the close of this series next week, Lord willing. We'll be in First John chapter 5. To close out not only this series, but to close out the year... And hopefully this study has been helpful for you as it has been for me. And we're going to talk about this word confidence a lot in this chapter. But really, that's the theme of 1 John, isn't it? Blessed assurance, confidence in your salvation, confidence in your Christianity, confidence in Jesus who makes it all possible. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is Love, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us, and sent His only begotten Son to be the propitiation for our sins, that we might live through Him. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 1 John 4, 7-11. through That's the very pulse of this chapter. It's the heartbeat of chapter 4. Is how we are to love God and how we are to love one another. And I can't think of a a better lesson that our world needs to hear today than to love God and love one another. How how many issues and problems could that possibly solve if that was the mentality of everybody? When we walk through this chapter this morning, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach. Uh, There are times when preaching through a text that you can kind of work through it as you go. But what I want to do this morning is read the section and then work back through it as we move through the chapter. Uh, And this is the way that that I studied it, and hopefully be able uh, to present it in a way that we can all understand it, grasp it, and apply it, as Brother Winston said earlier in his prayer. So we want to begin in verses 1 through 6 with this theme or this title of chapter 4, the ability to show and embrace love. Those are two different thoughts, but both of those, of, of course, go together. First, we want to emphasize from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, the love that we are to have for the truth. David once said that he loved the truth and he loved God, therefore he hates every false way. And we take from that, love what God loves and hate what God hates. That needs to be our mentality. Notice the emphasis then on love for the truth. Let's read verses 1 through 6 together. And have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. When you first look at this text, notice this language, this phrase, test the spirits. What is he talking about? The spirits. He's talking about these false prophets, talking about these teachers who claim to be speaking in the name of the Lord, but they won't even confess that Jesus came in the flesh. Remember, we talked about in the introduction of this study, the Gnostics, Gnosticism, the knowing ones. They said there's no way that God could be in the flesh because in their mind, flesh was just sinful and evil and hateful. So how in the world could God take on flesh? So they rejected the idea that God took on flesh. And what does John write about? Not just in 1 John, but in all of his writing. The Word took on flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son of the Father, John 1.18. He has seen Him, you've seen God. So this is really counteracting this idea of Gnosticism. Test the spirits. The word test here is a very interesting word in the Greek language. Dokumato, what's that sound like? Document or documentation. And the word picture is when you have a document and you take a red pen and you go through it. I can remember some of my teachers wearing out that red pen on my assignments. Thankfully, I don't have to do that too much. Uh, Georgia Christian, most of the time, it's, it's, I keep that red pen to the side. But when you think about this word so it's taking a document and examining it for any error. It's making sure that it lines up. That's the word that John uses. Test the spirits. This is a present tense verb. So it's not a one-time action. You keep on testing whether or not the things that people are saying are actually true. And it's an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's something that we are commanded to do. We are to examine, to approve, to make sure what is being said lines up with what God has revealed. Here's the point that, that I want to emphasize. In the first century, they actually had miraculous ability to know whether or not something was true. When you think about this, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you can see it in that language. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, they had the miraculous ability to discern the spirits. And this idea of discernment is I can look at that or I can hear that and know miraculously that's true. That's wrong. The question is, how do we test the spirits today? If we don't have the miraculous ability that when I hear something, it's a miracle that I can say that's error, what do I do? I go to... The word of God I go to what has been revealed I open up the pages of the New Testament and I say okay what was just said or what was just done does that line up does that harmonize with what God has revealed think about what we've done this morning the five avenues of worship to come and sing and make melody in our heart do we have scriptural authority to do that you know it's amazing we read that in our scripture reading Ephesians 5 19 Speaking to yourselves, solemn hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That, that is something that we find in the New Testament. We can back up what we're doing. Now, someone tries to bring a mechanical instrument into the worship service, I can test the spirits whether or not God has uh, deemed that to be uh, what He wants, right? The New Testament says sing. So if I do anything else, if I sing and play, I'm adding to what God has revealed. And that would be sinful. That's something that God has not... Uh, deemed to be what he wants and so I got to remember that God is the audience when I worship so the standard is the word of God think about Acts 17 11. remember the Bereans they were more noble than those in Thessalonica why what was it that, that set them apart they searched the scriptures daily they received the word with all readiness of mind they searched the scriptures daily to see whether or not the things that Paul was speaking were actually right now that's a humbling verse for me and, and should be for every gospel preacher If they had to go and check to see if Paul was right, an inspired man, how much more should should me and every gospel preacher understand? Everybody who hears what I'm saying this morning, make sure it lines up with this. If it lines up with this, accept it. If it doesn't, reject it. This is the standard. Not me, not any man. The standard is the Word of God. So Acts 17, 11 is a great text to remember. They searched the Scriptures. Okay, Paul, you're talking about Jesus and the resurrection. Let's, let's see if we can back that up with the Scriptures. They searched it, and they searched them daily to make sure that it, he actually backed it up. And then in, in Philippians chapter 3, and verse 16, Paul says, let us mind the same thing and let us walk by the same rule. And the word rule there carries the idea of the standard. Let's walk by the same standard. Can we do that? Yes, we can. We can speak the same thing, be of the same mind or the same judgment. 1 Corinthians 1.10, because God has given us His Word. That's the standard. So John says, you test the spirits. We can know absolute truth and absolute error. Did you know that? Somebody once said, we can't be absolutely sure of anything. You know what I'd ask them? Are you absolutely sure about that? <laughs> we can be absolutely sure of what the truth of God is. We also read that in our scripture reading, Ephesians five seventeen, Do not be unwise, but know what the will of the Lord is. Why would the Bible say know the will of the Lord if we couldn't know it? Furthermore, why would Jesus say you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free if we couldn't know absolute truth? Well, we can know it because it's been revealed. If it's been revealed, we can know it. If it hasn't been revealed, we don't know it. Deuteronomy 29, 29. We can know what truth is, and because we know what truth is, Because we have the standard, now we can know what error is. So both of those thoughts are extremely important, not just for them in the first century, but for us today. When somebody brings in some kind of doctrine, when somebody tries to teach something that is not in harmony with this, reject it. Reject it. This is the standard. This is what we need to always go by. Continuing in the context, notice some of these key words that John brings out. He talks about the, the spirit of Antichrist. He says, Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit. This is the disposition of one who is Antichrist. What's that mean? Against Christ. They're not willing to profess the truth. But then look at this phrase, Which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So are we to understand that this idea of Antichrist It's to be this larger-than-life figure, political leader that's going to come and be Antichrist. There's some in the world that teach that. There's some that hold that view. Well, when the Antichrist comes and then the marks on the forehead come, there's a lot of different ideas. But you know what we can simply do? We can go back to the first century world and read what John said. There were already these kind of people in the world. Already. Already. So why should we talking about awaiting some kind of figure if there were already Antichrists in the first century world? If you look back to chapter 2 and verse 18, he says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist has come, and look look at it, even now many Antichrists have come. So it's not some kind of mystical figure that we're looking for. No, they're already there. And according to 1 John, the Antichrist is just anybody that will not confess that Jesus came in the flesh. So again, don't don't get caught up with some of the things that are circled around our world right now. This is what the Bible says. There were many already. The Antichrist were those who were simply against Christ. They were against this truth that he had come in the flesh. But look at the contrast in verse 4. You are of God. And then that tender phrase, little children, goes back to chapter 3 and verse 1. Beloved, we are the children of God. So he's really trying to intertwine this and remind them, you are of God. He who is in you. Think about this. The entire Godhead dwells within the Christian. You ever thought about that? That's a powerful thought. God dwells within us. Jesus dwells within us. And the Spirit dwells within us. Now how they do that, you've got to search the Scripture. But the Bible is very clear that the Godhead dwells within the child of God. And that is extremely comforting. And there's great assurance with that. And so when you think about this idea of the Lord being in you, then who is the one of the world? Well, that's Satan. The God of this world. Paul would call him in 2 Corinthians. You are, you are of God. And God is in you. Satan is of the world, and those who are of the world are with him. John is so simple in his approach to show that. So who, who the one who confesses Jesus is the Son of God He's of God. The one who does not, who's he of? Not of God. He's of Satan. And that's the emphasis that he brings out with this contrast. Look at verse 6. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. Think about the apostles going out and teaching by the authority of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13. They were inspired to say everything that they said. They had a divine authority. But there were those who did not want to hear and hearken unto them. So he who is not of God doesn't hear us. And by this, by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You and I have a, an incredible blessing in having the completed revelation from God. You go back to the first century, they didn't have that. What they had was what was in part, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 10. They had this system of revelation that was coming in part. Imagine gathering on Sunday morning and not having your Bible. And you're having to wait for someone to stand and say, I received this from God and then say it. Imagine that. But what can we do today? What blessing do we have today? We can open up the Scriptures, read the same passage, and leave with the same understanding. That's the way God intended it to be. And that's what we need to do. And so this first section is our love for the truth. I need to love God's truth so much. That when error comes out, I expose it. I don't embrace it, I expose it. And I do so by the standard that is the Word of God. The next section this morning, let's think about verses 7 through 11 that we mentioned earlier. The love of God. Wednesday night I asked you to do something. I asked you to find how many times you found the word love in chapter 4. And I did this uh, through my, my software program, but also just walking through it and highlighting it. And I came up with 26 times, 27 times rather, in 12 verses where you find the word love in the New King James Version. That's telling, isn't it? We know that, that John is the apostle whom Jesus loved. We can also say that John is the apostle of love. Love is, is what binds all of this together. The love that we are to have for the truth stems from the love that God has for us and our love for him. It all blends together. It all works together. So 27 times in 12 verses. And then in these five, 7 through 11, when he worked through these five verses, 11 times in just these five, the word love is mentioned. So again, you think that was a premium to John? You think that's something important for us today? Absolutely it is. So let's think about what is said. And before we do that, this is really interesting. Every single time you find the word love, it's agape love. There's a different kind of love that we read about in the New Testament. Storge, family love, phileo, brotherly love. Eros is, is the sexual love between a husband and wife. But this is agape love. And agape means simply you want what's best for somebody else. You don't think about what it's going to cost you. You don't think about the, the, the sacrifice that you're making because you love that individual so much, you're willing to go great lengths To make it better for them. What's that sound like? Does that not sound like what God has done for us? I'm willing to go great lengths for these people. And Romans 5 says, even when we were enemies, even when we hated God, hated everything that was true and right, He loved us. I know I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that He saw me as something that was useless, and yet He could make useful through the blood of His Son. When we think about this love and we we work through this text, first let's notice when it comes to love the instruction that God gives us. Verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, because God is love. That's His very essence is love. Look at all the reasons why we are to love one another. Love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God. Everyone who loves knows God. To not know love is to not know God, and because God is love. John is just exploding with meaning here with all of these reasons why we are to love. But I need to understand that what I say needs to match what I do. If If I tell Brittany and I tell the kids, I love you, and I don't ever do anything to show that, do I really love him? Brother Winston hit the nail on the head. Can we sing, oh, how I love Jesus and not live for him? That's inconsistent. That's not what God's looking for. He's looking for the things that I say and the things that I do to be in harmony one with another. Because when God tells us, I love you, he shows it, doesn't he? And he has shown it to us. So the instruction. Verses 9 and 10, notice the demonstration. The demonstration of love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And He demonstrated that how? He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. A lot to unpack When you think of the demonstration of love, and this love of God was manifested. What does manifested mean? Made known or brought to light. Not of works of righteousness which we have done, but the kindness of God and mercy of God was extended toward us. Titus 3, 4, and 5. It was His love for us. It's the demonstration of sending His only begotten Son. Don't take that lightly when the Bible says only begotten. Why does it just say his only son? Have you ever thought about that? And think about about the type and anti-type of Abraham and Isaac. Did Abraham have another son? He did. He had Ishmael. But what did God specify about Isaac? Take your son, Isaac. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. He had another son. But this is the son of promise. Isaac being the type of Jesus, the antitype, the antitype's always greater than the type. Here, when you think about Jesus being the only begotten, this word in the Greek language is monogenes, mono, one, genes, the gene, the only begotten Son of God. We can't fathom the depth of that when we really stop and think about it. But John is the one who uses this language in the New Testament. Here are the times that you find that phrase, John 1, the only begotten Son, John 1.18, the only begotten. Of course, John 3.16, God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son into the world. That's significant why God literally gave us the very best that He had. What more could He give us to prove that He loved us than His only begotten Son, who is perfect in every way? That's love. That's love. This word propitiation we've seen before, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, the only other time you find it in the New Testament is in the book of Romans. And it carries the same idea. Propitiation means the appeasement. It appeases the wrath of God. So there's sin. A price has to be paid for that sin. Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Something has got to appease the wrath of God, satisfy the wrath of God for sin. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the appeasing sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. That's the love that God has shown toward us. So there's an instruction to love. There's the demonstration of love. But then there's the expectation to show that love. Look at verse 11 as he closes this section. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The word if is really the word since. Since or in so much as since god has loved us so much and has shown that love to us we also ought to love one another and show it don't just say it show it that's the expectation for us as children of god let's always remember that great text when we hear how the world talks about god we we think about how those discredit his very existence and those who speak against him, and speak against the church that his son died for. Let's remember that this is who God really is. In his very essence. Does that mean that God is not a God of justice? Does that mean he's not a God of wrath? Romans 11, Behold the goodness and severity of God. Of course. But that's our God. We need to have a balanced view of who he is. But never forget that God, in his very essence, is love. And if I'm going to be a child of God, I need to be like my father, and I need to show love too. So we've emphasized that we need to have love for truth. We've emphasized the love of God. But now let's think about the love that comes from God in verses 12 through 16. John says, no one has seen God at any time. Same phrase is found in John chapter 1 and verse 18. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. Same phrase that we find, a little bit different variation back in chapter 3 and verse 24. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Again, I love the way that John writes, don't you? It's so simple, but but he keeps reminding us of who God is and, and how we are to respond to a God who is love. The love that comes from God. The love of God is seen in the form of Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you, you walk through his life as he lived here, and you think about all that he did, you're seeing the love of God. No man has seen God at any time, but if you see his love, you've seen God. You've seen his very essence. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thought. And then notice this. He, speaking of the Father, sent him, his only begotten Son, to be the Savior of the world. That one passage destroys Calvinism in one breath. The idea of Calvinism is, you know, Jesus only died for a select few. There's limited atonement. This verse says, no, there's atonement available for the whole world. Jesus died for the whole world. The Savior of the world. And that's very telling and very powerful. When you think of the language of the world, how could we possibly leave that out? How could we possibly come to this idea that, well, there's only a select few that he really died for? Without thinking that the benefits of Jesus' blood is available to all people who meet the conditions. Revelation 13:8, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The same one who created this world, John 1, 1 through 3, is the same one who died for this world. Think about that. That's love. That's a depth that's just so hard to grasp. But that's the kind of love that Jesus has for us. John the Immerser introduced Jesus to the world. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the whole world. He's the Savior of the world. Galatians 1.4, He gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us from this present evil age. The Savior, the Savior of the world. And I love this passage in 1 Timothy 3.16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, Look at what is highlighted there and see if you don't see Jesus in every one of these phrases. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. That describes Jesus. Every one of those phrases. So again, John wants us to understand and be very clear that when Jesus came into this world, he came to be Savior. He came to be Savior. John 3, 16 and 17. Sometimes we limit it to just verse 16. Yes, that's the golden text of the Bible. It's not the only text of the Bible, right? Verse 17 is also extremely powerful. He came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 3, 17, important passage to remember. Working our way through this text, we come to a very interesting section. And I'll be honest with all of you. I've been studying this. I've really, really had to, to look within and, and think long and hard about what is, what is being said here. And I've entitled this section, Love Over Fear. Let's read 17 through 19. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I don't know about you, but there's some challenging thoughts here. That we may have boldness. The word boldness means assurance or confidence. But specifically, how are we to have confidence? In view of what? John says, in view of the day of judgment. So before we go any further, ask yourself, is that where you stand spiritually right now? That you have confidence awaiting the second coming of Jesus? Can you you honestly say, I've got confidence. I know that when he comes back, I don't have to fear. I don't have to try to run and hide. Can you say as a Christian, I can't wait for Jesus to come back? Think about that thought as we work through this together. The word confidence, interesting word, but it's found all throughout 1 John. I want to read a few of these as we think about it. 1 John 2, 28. Here he says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him, at his coming the next passage first john 3 in verse 21 beloved if our heart does not condemn us we have confidence toward god here of course in this text first john 4 17 but look at chapter 5 and verse 14 now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us look at how john is using this word confidence assurance boldness and those three terms of course just destroy the idea of having fear fear involves torment is what john says if we can have confidence why why should we have confidence in view of the judgment day i'll give you three reasons number one because jesus is our high priest you think of the old testament system they're not going straight to god Go to the priest, go to the most holy place, offer that up. But Jesus literally gives us access to the Father. John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by or through me. He is our great high priest. Hebrews four fifteen and 16. Tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. So we can have boldness when we approach the throne of grace. Why? Because Jesus himself is our great high priest. Number two, because Jesus is our advocate. We talked about that in chapter two. He pleads our case like a lawyer. He died for us and he pleads for us. When we stand before the judgment seat, he says, I appeal. I appeal for him. He's covered in my blood. She's covered in my blood. He's our our lawyer. He's our advocate. But then Jesus, again, is our savior. I need to rest in the fact that I'm not my own savior. I need to rest in the fact that no man in this world is my savior. I need to rest in the fact that Jesus is. The son of God is my savior. And I need to rest in that fact. I need to have confidence and assurance knowing that he is the one, that I serve a risen savior and that he's coming back. Confidence. Assurance. Notice this language as well. We love Him because He first loved us. Romans 5, again, a great text to always remember that even when we we're enemies, we we're without strength, Christ died for us. And we can be justified through His blood. We can have the forgiveness of sins. I came across this quote. I want you to think about it with me. The one who lives fearfully while confessing Christ is already enduring punishment for his sin. Unpacking that is this idea that I know the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans 8:1. I know that I've responded by faith, I obeyed from the heart the gospel. I know that I have died to sin. I've been buried with Christ in baptism. I know that His blood washed away all sins. I know that I'm doing what the Bible says to walk in light the best of my ability. I know that when I do mess up, I handle it God's way. I confess it, I repent, and I keep going. But still in the back of my mind, I'm scared to death that I'm going to be lost forever and be in hell. Anybody here have that thought process? That if we're not careful, it's a get out of hell free card? Is my mentality of coming to services? Why do I serve God? Why am I here this morning? Is it because I'm just scared to death and I don't want to go to hell? Now, is hell a good motivator? Yes. Yes. But my motivation for being here this morning, my motivation for living for God, ought to be, according to 1 John 4, my love for God and my response to His love for me. And if I live that way, I can have confidence. I can have confidence. I can have assurance. that when He comes back, when He calls my name, I will answer as we sing the hymn. The final place this morning as we close out chapter 4. Really, this thought goes on into chapter 5, but we're going to stop it here. Verses 20 and 21. Love for God and for God's people. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. John, could you make it simple for us, please? I love God, but I hate my brother. Well, you are a liar, John says. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Two quick thoughts as we wrap up this morning. Number one is the action. I love God. Do you really? What action is there? Because words without action is, is vain. It's Pointless. Words without action is pointless. James 1.22 If I love God, what's my action going to be? What's the natural response going to be? I'm going to love God's people. I'm not going to badmouth God's people. I'm not going to gossip about God's people. I'm not going to talk behind their back. I'm going to genuinely, sincerely love them because those, that's my brother in Christ. That's my sister in Christ. And if I don't do that, John says, you're a liar. And what you say isn't matching up with what you're doing. That's the action. I love God. I love God's people. And then second and finally, there's the commission. The word commission means not omission, not suggestion, something you are to do. It's a commandment. Look at the language. He who loves God must must love his brother also. If I don't love my brother in Christ, I don't really love God. And that's how he concludes this thought thought on what it means to really love God. John, throughout this whole chapter, is talking about God who is love, God who has shown love, and God who desires that we love Him. He's not going to force us. He didn't make us as robots, but free moral agents Who can choose to love Him and live for Him. And I hope all of us will make that choice. Because look at how much He's loved us. Shouldn't we want to respond and live for Him? Seeing that all He's done for us. We close with this thought. We're not going to take the time to read these. But I do want you to think about them. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment, good master? What's the greatest commandment? He said, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is likened to it. I want you to notice, he doesn't say, here's the first one and here's the second one. He said, here's the first one, here's the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I love God, I'm going to love God's people. And in Matthew 25, when you have that judgment scene, what is going to be said by the king when he has the sheep and the goats? What's he going to say to those on the right? I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. Naked, and you clothed me. Sick, and in prison, you visited me. They said, Lord, when did we do that? When you did it to the least of these my brethren, you did it unto me. On the day of judgment, what's going to be coming into play? How would you treat people? Did you love your brother? Did you show that? Did you demonstrate that? And the king is going to be right, whatever he decides. So today, I need to make my mind up and and make sure, yes, I love God. I want to live for God. And because of that, I'm going to do everything in my power to show my brethren that I love them. If we can do that, we can have confidence. We can have assurance. We can show and embrace the love of God and show the world what it means to be a child of God by the way that we love each other. Maybe the case this morning that you're not a Christian. And deep down you say, I love God. I love Him for what He did for us, as we read. I love Him because He first loved me. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14, 15. And this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. 1 John 5, 3. You can demonstrate your love for God by simply obeying what He says. Hebrews 5, 8, and 9. If you love the Lord and you want to be his child, then you can do that today. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God, willing to repent of sins, confess with the mouth that he is Lord, be baptized into Christ, come in contact with his blood, rise to walk in newness of life. But it could be that as a child of God, you say, listen, I do love God, but I have not been showing my love for my brethren. I haven't been there for them. I haven't prayed with them and prayed for them. I haven't gone to see them. I haven't tried to bring them back, those of of our brothers and sisters who have strayed away from the Lord. Are we showing that love for one another? Can we do better? It may be that you just need to come forward for prayers, for strength and encouragement. and That's why we're here. We're here to worship God. We're also here to encourage one another. And we're a family. And part of that family relationship is showing that love by going to God's throne on your behalf, calling it by name so we can be stronger together. If we need to respond to the Lord's invitation, come to Jesus. Yes, That's gal we stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.